Welcome to the Talking Poem Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Green. On each episode, I invite a poet, critic, or reader to bring in any poem they'd like to talk about, old or new, well-known or obscure. We'll talk about what excites us, what engages us, maybe what frustrates us, and we'll see how the poem and the conversation turn. And then we'll have a little bit of silliness and a poetry trivia game later. On today's episode, I'm excited to talk with friend and colleague, Professor Roger Gilbert. Roger teaches in the Department of Literatures and English at Cornell University. He's the author of Walks in the World, Representation and Experience in Modern American Poetry, and the co-editor of Considering the Radiance, Essays on the Poetry of A.R. Ammons. Roger, thanks for being here. You're very welcome. Uh, so you brought in an A.R. Ammons poem, yes. fittingly, Mechanism. In the moment, I'll ask you to read aloud. Do you want to preface the poem with anything? This is a poem that I often use to sort of give people a sense of what is distinctive about Ammons. I, and it'll be very clear when you hear it how different his vocabulary is in this poem from what we think of as the language of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the main reason that I turn to it. But I also think it's a beautifully crafted poem in which there are different levels of language working together, in which he's modulating very skillfully between these different levels and creating something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, go ahead and take it away. Okay. Mechanism. Honor, a going thing. Goldfinch, corporation, tree, morality, any working order, animate or inanimate, it has managed directed balance. The incoming and outgoing energies are working right. Some energy left to the mechanism, some ash, enough energy held to maintain the order in repair, assure further consumption of entropy, expending energy to strengthen order. Honor the persisting reactor, the container of change, the moderator. The yellow bird flashes black wing bars in the new-leaving wild cherry bushes by the bay, startles the hawk with beauty, flitting to a branch where flash vanishes into stillness, hawk addled by the sudden loss of sight. Honor the chemistries, platelets, hemoglobin kinetics, the light-sensitive iris, the enzymic intricacies of control, the gastric transformations, seed dissolved to acrid liquors, synthesized into chirp, Vitreous humor, knowledge, blood compulsion, instinct. Honor the unique genes, molecules that reproduce themselves, divide into sets, the nucleic grain transmitted in slow change through ages of rising and falling form. Some cells set aside for the special work, mind or perception rising into orders of courtship, Territorial rights, mind rising from the physical chemistries to guarantee that genes will be exchanged, male and female met, the satisfactions cloaking a deeper racial satisfaction. Heat kept by a feathered skin, the living alembic, body heat maintained, Bunsen burner under the flask, so the chemistries can proceed, reaction rates interdependent, self-adjusting, with optimum efficiency, the vessel firm, the flame staying, isolated, contained reactions, 
the precise and necessary worked out of random, reproducible, the handiwork redeemed from chance, while the goldfinch, unconscious of the billion operations that stay its form, flashes, chirping, not a great songster, in the bay cherry bushes, wild of leaf. Thanks. I love the way you read it. You mentioned it's kind of exemplary of Annan's. What what's the main reason you brought it in in addition to that? Well, I think the first thing that will strike people is all of the scientific vocabulary, yeah. all of the references to chemistry, but not just the sort of general terms, but the much more specific terms, some of which, you know, I barely understand myself. <laughs> Hemoglobin kinetics, enzymic intricacies, you know, I mean, I've, I've taught the poem enough that I, I've looked up most of the words and have a sense of what they mean, but nevertheless, I think he is deliberately pushing the limits of what people understand as poetic diction. Yeah. And, and yet, I mean, what I always try to argue, and maybe not everyone agrees with this, in fact, I can think of one reader who definitely doesn't, what I would argue is that he finds a music in, in these specialized mm -hmm. terms. I mean, they have a beauty of their own. They're not ugly words. No, the, the stanza that probably has the most of that honor the chemistries, platelets, hemoglobin kinetics. It's a scientific language that, that for me is almost completely obscure, but there is a, there's a musicality to it. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of L's, you know, he's, he's always conscious of sound. He's always conscious of texture. Mm -hmm. And he's not just gonna throw a bunch of words together because they, you know, they happen to refer to particular phenomena, he's always going to be thinking about how they sound as well. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, that's something I I love about the poem. You know, of course, I, I, I often have taught this poem in my course on animal poetry, oh, where cool. we spend several weeks just on birds. There are so many great bird poems. Mm -hmm. and of course, you can compare this with some of the famous ones like Keats's Ode, Ode on a Nightingale and so on. This is essentially a bird poem, although it's framed in a, in a larger way, which we can talk about. Mm -hmm. But it's giving us a vision of this bird or mm -hmm. a view, literally a view of the bird that no other poet has ever provided. Mm -hmm. I mean, just taking us so deeply inside its inner workings and yeah. as he calls the billion operations and just, and, and it's re it really is like, very differentiated, you know, mm -hmm. chemistry is one level of it, but uh, genetics is another level of it, courtship behavior, mm -hmm. digestion. I mean, he really mm -hmm. wants to kind of touch on every or almost every system in, a, in any living organism, but he's mm -hmm. taking the goldfinch as his primary <laughs> exhibit that allows something to be alive and to maintain itself. And even in its place in nature, the, we see it in the, the bay cherry bushes, there's yeah. the hawk. So it's, it, yeah. you see it as prey. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the as a bird poem. I love the idea of, of just like weeks of bird poems. And I'm glad you mentioned Ode on a Nightingale because I found myself wondering why a goldfinch a lot. And though I feel like you read the very end of the poem perfectly, not a great songster. Right. He hasn't chosen something that is worthy or not, not worthy of awe, but does, doesn't immediately come to mind as, as a creature that deserves awe. 
Well, of course, poets love birds basically for two reasons, because they sing and because they fly. Mm -hmm. And this bird isn't doing much of either. Right. I mean, he's <laughs> the, what is wondrous and uh, transfixing about it mm -hmm. is neither its song, which is a kind of, you know, repetitive chirp, mm -hmm. not like the nightingale song or the skylark or some of the other birds that are well known in poetry. Mm -hmm. And I guess we see it sort of flitting a little bit but not, you know, in full flight in the way that some poets like to yeah. depict birds. So it's about the sheer miraculousness of this thing's existence, mm -hmm. even though it's not a particularly... I mean, he does talk about its beauty. I guess, I, I guess it's, it's important to, you know, um, recognize that there is a kind of purely aesthetic response to the bird mm -hmm. and, and, and its beautiful wing bars and so on. So... There is something, there is something in the in the bird's appearance that appeals to him. But he's also, I think, not wanting to <laughs> overblow mm -hmm. its significance. It's just a goldfinch, you know. Right. It's the kind of bird you see every day. It's not a bird that some birder is going to go crazy over. Mm -hmm. And the first time he mentions it, it feels offhand in the opening line: goldfinch, corporation, tree, morality, any working order. Yes, yes. You're reading the first part of the poem until you come back to the bird flashes black wing, the old bird flashes black wing bars, it doesn't read as a poem about a bird. It feels right, like it's right. such an arbitrary list. Because I keep going back to the, those four together. <laughs> Does that list seem arbitrary to you, or do you see some pattern in it? Goldfinch, corporation, tree, morality. I mean, it is such a bizarre list. And of course, you know, the list poem is another genre <laughs> that Ammons, but many other poets have, have done a lot with. And this sort of starts out as though it's going to be a list poem. You read yeah. those opening lines and you think, well, he's going to probably have a few stanzas about the goldfinch and then a few about a corporation and a tree and morale. You know, he's going to sort of take each of those in turn, but he doesn't do that. I can tell you two facts about the genesis of the poem that might be interesting. One is that the very earliest draft does not have that opening. It just starts right away with the goldfinch. Oh, yeah, that's fascinating. How to maintain a goldfinch that flashes black bars in the new-leaving wild cherry bushes by the bay. Huh. So the whole poem is just goldfinch, goldfinch from beginning to end. But then the other little interesting tidbit I can share is that once he had developed the form that the poem is in now with that introduction, honor a going thing, in which he starts out with this very conceptual term, mm -hmm. category, going thing, and then gives you examples of it. Originally, he had Goldfinch Corporation Tree. And then I could show you a draft in which he wrote in morality as the fourth <laughs> item in that list. Mm -hmm. So that, and that was very interesting, you know, to see yeah. that addition because it somehow changes the, the chemistry of the list in, mm -hmm. in an interesting way. But obviously Goldfinch and Tree, you know, those are, I mean, they're different levels of specificity. So, you know, you mm -hmm. would think Goldfinch might be accompanied by cherry tree or something yeah. like that. But instead, he gives you a more generic term and then this more particular term. Mm -hmm. but of course, corporation is what really throws <laughs> throws us, especially mm -hmm. progressives like us, uh, you know, honor a going thing, Goldfinch Corporation tree, mm -hmm. morality. And then by adding morality, we're asked to somehow hold corporation and morality in the same yeah. thought, in the same category. And he does then go on to try to spell out what it is that makes all of these things somehow alike. And it has to do mm -hmm. with 
this sort of internal economy of incoming and outgoing energy and a, yeah. a kind of stabilizing property that allows them to keep themselves going, mm -hmm. you know, in something like the same form over time. Yeah. But it's a, it's a real, <laughs> you know, it's a real challenge to the reader to somehow get those four things into alignment. <laughs> I remember you were telling me about that game Connections. If you saw yeah. <laughs> those four things in a Connections grid, you would yeah. never think that they belong together. Yeah, exactly. If you're unfamiliar, if anyone listening is unfamiliar, it's the New York Times beta game Connections, which is delightful. I love it. Yeah. yeah, my first encounter with the poem, or most recent encounter with the poem when I taught some Ammon's poems a, a couple of semesters ago, I had that reaction to preparation, but that kind of language carries through the first part. We get working twice, obviously mechanism to some extent, maintain, yep. consumption, container. Like there's language that's in that realm. Yep. Yep. And so it's not, it's not arbitrary. Well, and you know, you think about it, economy and ecology are very closely related mm -hmm. terms and concepts and frameworks. So he was very interested in that. I mean, he, he kept coming back to economic language, even when he's writing about nature, natural phenomena. Mm -hmm. But a, one important thing to know is that he was literally working for a corporation at this point, albeit on a small oh, scale. Wow. It was, uh, well, I mean, I, I think it was a corporation only in the sense that it was a business and was probably incorporated, but it was his father-in-law's medical scientific oh, glassware wow. business. Mm -hmm. He worked as a sales executive there. Right in South Jersey. Oh, well, that's right. And of course, there are also reflections of that in the references to Bunsen burners, oh, and, you know, great. just the sort of chemical reactions and so on. And he was really surrounded by the implements of chemistry in his, in his work, but also by the realities of keeping a business going. You know, I think they aren't totally arbitrary items. Right. I mean, he liked to go out and look at goldfinches and trees, but he was also spending a lot of time dealing with business matters. And then, you know, of course, he was also interested in morality, especially as it intersected with business and the kind of trade-offs between the two. He had all sorts yeah. of issues with, uh, with his job and feeling that he wasn't being treated fairly. So, hmm. Well, I'm, I'm going to try a segue here. So... I did a little reading about goldfinches mm -hmm. and thinking of systems and how they work. Apparently, goldfinch populations are strongly supported by human behavior. They are, their populations have grown because of the, you know, people having bird feeders, for example. And so mm -hmm. people come across goldfinches quite a lot. It's a very familiar bird. And so this is the segue I'm going to try. I'm curious about the role of people in the poem because they're not people in the poem other than the you honor. Yeah. I wonder about the end of the, the poem, the, while the goldfinch, unconscious of the billion operations that stay its form. And this is why I think the, the specific scientific language that some readers may balk at matters is that the poet is conscious, at least to some extent, of these operations. And I think by implication, people are. People in the sense of, this phrase kind of bothers me, but like the idea of our shared human knowledge, what we actually mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. We are conscious of those operations. Well, I think we're more conscious of them after reading this poem, but, mm. but um, sure, we know in a way that the goldfinch doesn't, that it's dependent on all kinds of complicated internal mechanisms to, mm -hmm. to, to be alive. And maybe that's why we can respond to it with, if, if, we are, if we're thoughtful and reflective and in the right frame of mind, we can look at a goldfinch and be kind of dazzled and, and astonished by the mere fact of its existence. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I think that's a good point. And I'm glad you pointed to that word honor, which is, I mean, this is a poem that does, I think, work through a kind of anaphora that is repetition of a single word at the beginnings of several lines, although it's very spread out, but we get honor a going thing, and then a little further we get honor the persisting reactor, and then we get honor the chemistries, platelets, honor the unique genes. I think that might be the last one. Yeah, that is the last one, and I trace them. It's a very Ammons thing that there's that repetition, or what seems to me is an Ammons thing, that there's that repetition of the phrase, but it doesn't come at regular moments. Right. It comes in the middle, or after a colon in the middle of a line, it comes at the first line of a stanza in two cases, but the middle line of a stanza. And that made, it's minutia in a way, but it, I can imagine an alternate universe version of this poem where that gets emphasized yes. really heavily. Well, I think typically when poets use anaphora, they do put the rep repeated phrase or, or word at the beginning of lines mm -hmm. so that it really stands out. Right. And he likes to instead sort of embed those repetitions and hide them a little bit. He does that in a, a very famous poem called The City Limits, which repeats mm -hmm. the phrase, when you consider the radiance. Right. Similar way, kind of hiding it inside lines. But of course, that word has such a biblical resonance, you know, honor mm -hmm. thy father and mother. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the other thing about Ammons that I always try to emphasize is a kind of deep-seated impulse toward religious awe and wonder in the absence of any sort of strict doctrinal belief system. Which, right. And he grew up in the church. He grew up in going to a Pentecostal church, but also to Baptist and Methodist churches. And so he heard a lot of hymns and probably a lot of Bible readings, and he internalized all of that, you mm -hmm. know, at the level of music, but also I think at the level of just spiritual feeling. Right. So he he's drawing on that, but then he's wedding it to science. So that's something that he does throughout his career yeah. is that kind of bringing together of a religious attitude of wonder and reverence with a kind of insistence on the truth of science and the beauty of science and the indeed the religious possibilities that are implied by the intricacies of, of nature. I mean, science does, for a lot of scientists, grow out of awe. So honor, thinking about honor as like also consider the radiance, honor a yeah, going yeah, thing. Yeah. Honor seems to, in the poem, mean a lot of things. It obviously has a religious resonance. Yeah. And honor seems also to, to feel that awe, to recognize as much as you can. Just thinking it about it as like an exercise in epistemology. Like, where do all of our knowledges about this thing come from? Yeah. And of course, the one place where that kind of reflection can lead you is to the idea of intelligent design. I mean, there are many poems yeah. that look at hymns, for that matter. And one that he especially loved was... Uh, how great thou art when oh my my oh god when i look at the i, I can't quite quote it from memory but uh, he's looking at the natural world and thinking how great thou art that you could create all of this mm -hmm. uh, or you think of blake's the tiger as another example and there are many right. many poems like that and this poem seems to avoid that thought that if this goldfinch is so incredibly beautiful and complicated it couldn't have just happened it must something must have made it this way. I mean, there is one moment where there's the slightest hint of that, and that's when he uses the word handiwork. Oh, right. The handiwork redeemed from chance, which of course makes you ask, well, whose hand is he talking about? And who's redeeming? 
Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure he wants the poem to sort of land on any clear statement of belief in a creator. Mm-hmm. I really don't get that from it. I mean, there's a, a hint of it, which is almost hard, impossible to avoid, mm-hmm. given the, the, the shape of it. But um, I think he wanted to stay agnostic. Yeah, and that makes total sense given you know his so much of his poetry, and also thinking of Corson's Inlet and that as a as a sort of statement of what he does in, in poetry. That essentially one of the things he's interested in tracking is ongoingness, and that there is this kind of constancy to change. Yeah. That a poem can track that moment by moment, can bring you to that moment, and so. He doesn't seem as interested in the beginnings or origins quite so much as of what we have in front of us. Yeah, yeah I love that word stay that he uses in the very end, the billion, unconscious of the billion operations that stay its mm-hmm. form. I mean, sometimes, you know, it gives you all these polysyllabic words, but sometimes it's those really basic, simple words that mm-hmm. just condense the whole meaning of the poem. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on, but it's all just meant for to allow the goldfinch to stay a goldfinch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have we have a poem with the word hemoglobin and the word songster. Yes. And I, I always love poems that have that kind of range, that yeah. moving through different tones, but also through different registers yeah. of language. Well, my absolute favorite moment in the poem, which I always point out to students, is that enjambment in the stanza that begins the gastric transformations, sea dissolved to acrid liquors, synthesized into chirp. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a word that is basically just a noise, yeah. and yet it's coming out of all of this complexity, yeah. just as other things rise. I mean, there's also this beautiful series of lines in which mind or perception rises from the physical chemistries. I mean, that's the ultimate mystery. How is it that these sort of higher orders of behavior and thought and perception can arise from these purely mechanical or physical, you know, processes. Yeah, I love that. I, I want to stay with line breaks for a minute because when I first read Ammons years ago, I'd been spending a lot of time reading and studying poems and particularly looking at line breaks and what line breaks can do. And so often his lines will break on words that I think of kind of as null words, like Mm -hmm. it into, Mm -hmm. it into, um, and not a, and I was as sort of like a line break hunter. I found myself puzzled by that. And now I, it makes a lot of sense to me. One, because I know I've spent a lot more time with line breaks. Part of it is because he follows eddies of meaning, as, as he puts it, you're going to have moments that don't bring, break on the significant. But it also, line break emphasizes sound like animate or inanimate, it. Like there's a kind of humor mm-hmm, <laughs> to mm-hmm. the sound there. And then the in that last line, the not a great songster, yes. having that pause at the end sort yes. of sets up the let, letting the, uh, <laughs> the goldfinch down easy. Yeah. It, it seems at first like, again, an arbitrary choice or, or an odd choice, but that the more time I've spent with his poems, he's really showing off different kinds of things you can do with line breaks and that he can do with line breaks. Yeah. And to some extent that gets enriched and accentuated in this poem because of the stanza form, which is a little mm-hmm. unusual for him. Mm-hmm. You know, the three line stanzas, but there's also an indentation pattern, which he doesn't usually use. I, When I look at this poem, I, 
I can't help thinking of Marianne Moore, who he liked, but yeah. he doesn't do what she does, which is to have an, a really strict syllabic mm-hmm. pattern in every stanza that gets perfectly repeated and a very subtle rhyme scheme usually, too. But I think he, he's trying to get something of that same effect of a of a some kind of an intricate patterned form that keeps repeating itself which is of course exactly what yeah. the poem is about mm-hmm. the more time i spent with the poem the more the intricacy shows that their repetitions not just of honor a going thing but the word maintain comes up early and late in the poem as does change change and chance the flashes of the birds earlier on we get the reminder of the flash in the last stanza there's a really great care to call back to some of those things, not in the uh, the more obvious way of honor in that mm-hmm. anaphora, mm-hmm. but there, there seems to be a great care to coming back to some of that language to emphasize there's a structure yeah. here. We may not always recognize why the structure is there, but we, we try to know as much as we can, as the yeah. poem suggests. Yeah, now you say, and you know, you say that I'm re- realizing that stay and staying are repeated, the flames staying, isolated, contained, reactions and then there's that funny exclamation point the only time and the other thing we should mention is that for the most part the poem well you know you could say the poem is one sentence because mm-hmm. it begins with a capital letter ends with a period there are no other periods between the beginning and the ending but instead mm-hmm. what you get are these very characteristic colons which Ammons used to create a sense of flow and continuity mm-hmm. where normally you would put a period or yeah. some other kind of end punctuation so the colon I think is and of course in this poem a colon it's even like a little pun because among <laughs> other things he's looking at the you know process of digestion and uh, <laughs> taking in and putting out you know material so it's uh, it's it's a great poem to show off that aspect of his poetry too. That really mm-hmm. distinctive use of the colon, which sets him apart from almost every other poet. I I can't believe my mind didn't go there, but I did not think of the colon in those terms. I was thinking it much more in the terms of you know, the the way it's used for analogies. That this is mm-hmm. a way that sometimes the poems seem to suggest. Okay, let's look at these things in parallel. Yeah. The colon creates that yeah. sense of order as well. Well, yeah, and that makes sense given the analogical structure at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. tree, corporation, goldfinch, morality, they're all somehow somehow part of a single analogy. What? Going thing, working order. I mean, he does give you, the opening does give you a kind of abstract diagram of what the, what he's talking about, mm-hmm. you know, what a going thing or working order is. And so the really the first four stanzas are at that level of abstraction and mm-hmm. then we zoom in on the goldfinch right and it's kind of a, a surprise a, a bit of a startlement to jump from that level of, of generality to the uh, total particularity of the goldfinch yeah it is kind of amazing in, in teaching i'm so often telling students be specific use not only specifics but also images because it gives the reader sensory connection of the world that connects them to yeah. the poem in a different way but this works so well in part because the tone of it is so interesting and and everything he says is is in its own way very specific. You're not going to find phrasings like this elsewhere, whether it's goldfinch, corporation, tree, morality, honor the persisting reactor, the Mm -hmm. container of change. 
And we could also talk about energies. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The, the reactor, I'm assuming he's, he's very aware of nuclear. Do you know when he well, first drafted this? Uh, around 1959. So, um, and I don't know when nuclear energy started to be right. a real thing and when, when nuclear reactors were starting to come into existence. I, mm -hmm. I had actually a really good question. I should look into that. It's amazing. You've spent so much time with Ammons and his poems. Well, I, you know, you didn't mention this, but I am writing a critical biography yes. <laughs> of him, and so I have been steeped in his work for many years now. And I knew him personally, so mm -hmm. even before I was working on this book, I was a, you know, a great admirer of his of his poetry. I mean, you can continue coming back to his poems, and there's always more and more. There's just there's such an intricacy, especially for, for a poet who, on the page at times, looks loose. That there is great care that, that have yeah. gone into these poems. I remember an anecdote, and I don't remember the poet now, but from when I was an undergrad, there was a story my undergrad creative writing mentor told about a poet who was in a group of poets doing automatic writing. Mm -hmm. And one of his friends comes over and sees him through the window, clearly revising something. Mm -hmm. And comes in and he says, this isn't automatic. Why isn't this automatic? And he said, well, it doesn't look automatic enough. <laughs> so... <laughs> you have to take right. the care for it right. to to look unconsidered. Yeah, and it takes a lot of work to, to make something spon feel spontaneous. Yeah, exactly. And he did like to boast that he tended not to do a lot of revision. I mm -hmm. happen to know in the case of this, it went through drafts and started out very differently. I mean, it was mm -hmm. not in stanzas in the first version that I yeah. mentioned when it's all about the goldfinch. So that right. stanza form... You know, interestingly, that came in at the same time that he established this structure of the analogies among four different things. Mm -hmm. So there's something about there, too, a kind of rhyming between the form of the poem and its way of establishing the, you know, the same processes, the same notion of balance and stability and so on mm -hmm. can be tracked from one phenomenon to another. That's incredible. It's I haven't gone through the, is it now the two-volume complete <laughs> yeah. poems of Ammons, but every time I read them, I find myself getting really drawn in. I loved Garbage. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorites. That's great that's such it's so fun anything else you wanted to mention about the poem before we move to the silliness and okay. to the well one thing game. another thing i like to point out he had a complicated relationship with yates and he at times expressed great admiration for yates at other times kind of poo-pooed him but I, at a certain point, it, it dawned on me in talking about and teaching this poem that the title mechanism could be heard to be echoing the mechanical bird in Yeats's poem, Sailing to Byzantium, a mechanical golden bird, which is a work of of superlative artifice mm -hmm. and I think what and so when you one thing you could say is that there might be an implicit dialogue with Yeats here in which mm -hmm. in which Ammons is saying hey you don't need some Grecian goldsmith to make you a, a beautiful mechanical bird just look at the goldfinch in your mm -hmm. backyard and you have a mechanism that's more intricate than anything yeah. that human hands could make oh I love that that's fantastic Okay, now we get moved to the silliness. Very quick ad break. In this stressful day and age, where do we find the time to take care of our bodies? That's why you should head to Lucille's yoga studio. She focuses on the most important part of the body, the hips. She has plenty of space to move around in, and after a few sessions with her, you'll have free hips that go where they want to go and do what they want to do. Don't waste time on downward dog and mountain pose. Get to the studio that gets down to business. We guarantee that by the end, you'll be able to put a spell on a man and spin him like a top. <laughs> guarantee not valid in the lower 48. <laughs> okay. 
So <laughs> we come to the trivia portion or the game game portion. It's not really trivia. For you, I've chosen Guess the Poet by Titles. Oh, okay. So I've pulled six titles. I've done this with two poets because I have a bad feeling you're... Well, I have a feeling, not necessarily a bad feeling. I feel like you're either going to be wondering about the first one or you're going to get it immediately. So I, I did two okay. poets. So, and you're welcome to guess at any point. The sooner you guess it, the more points you get. The points don't really matter, but, you know, that's... It makes it seem like there's something at stake. Okay, okay. Okay, so title number one, The Hippopotamus. Um, isn't that T.S. Eliot? I knew it was going to do <laughs> I tried playing. We thought I was going to say Marianne Moore, I bet. That it was, I was trying to pull a little sleight of hand there. So I, I picked The Hippopotamus, Hysteria, Morning at the Window, Whispers of Immortality. All right, let's see if I can stump you with a second one. First poem, Song. <laughs> Well, I can think of a lot of poets who met, and I, I could guess John Ashbery because I know he has several poems with that title, but... It is not Ashbery. Number two, poem. Oh, boy. Uh, William Carlos Williams? No. Okay. That, the, those are both excellent guesses, but this is trying to mislead you by design. Okay. Because I think of you as someone who would be difficult to stump at this yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Number three, sonnet. Oh, is it Elizabeth Bishop? It is Elizabeth okay, Bishop. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to Next it was going to come Sestina, I bet. It was. Okay. And then I couldn't find any other titles, so I went with the Armadillo and figured okay. that would give it away. Uh -huh. And First Death in Nova Scotia. Uh -huh. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Thank you so much oh, for bringing sure. the mechanism and for talking with me today. And thank you to everyone for listening. Go read some poems, pet some dogs, and support some striking workers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>